All right. Good evening, everybody. How you guys feeling? Good? All right. Sweet. Well, welcome to Genesis. My name is Mike. We are glad you guys are here tonight. Hey, so who was lucky enough to get one of the six cookies? Nice. Some of you are like, they had cookies? What? Uh, I'm talking about the Chick-fil-A cookies. Sorry, not Chips Ahoy. Okay, I'm talking about like Chick-fil-A cookies. Uh, big difference. Um, so, yeah, so they, they messed up our order, so they gave us some free cookies, and man, blessed, right? Um, well, at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts, and so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt welcomed, and I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you, and so we are glad that you're here. I, uh, I heard this story yesterday about this man who was a soldier in World War II, and he was the captain of a torpedo boat that was off the coast of Australia. And one day, a Japanese ship attacked his boat and killed two people, okay? But the man, the the captain, and 10 other people on the boat survived. And they actually ended up swimming four hours to an unoccupied island. And this was like a really remote place. Like no one was passing by. Um, Like I said, it was a remote place. And so they're kind of like holding on to their last moments. They didn't know how long they would survive until, miraculously, these Pacific Islanders canoed by. And unfortunately, though, these these Islanders couldn't speak English. And so the man, the captain of the ship, he kind of thought on his feet and he thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this. And so he takes a coconut from the island and he carves a message on, on the coconut, and he said, 11 alive, need boat. And he hands it to the islanders, and they didn't know what it said, but they just took it with them. Well, they end up getting it to this Australian coast official, and he relayed it to this, uh, the, the, US, the nearest U.S. base, and they sent a boat, and the guys ended up getting rescued. And what's awesome about that story is that the man who carved the message would actually go on to become the 35th president of the United States. His name was John F. Kennedy. Okay, isn't that cool? Right? Awesome. Well, as Christians, when it comes to hearing the call of God, a lot of times, or hearing what God wants us to do, a lot of times we can feel like those Pacific Islanders, right? We are handed this message that we don't understand, uh, that doesn't make sense, and we may ask, well, what in the world does this mean? God, why are you telling me to do this. Has anyone ever felt that way before? So tonight we are continuing our series, Spoiler Alert, where we are walking through Old Testament stories and we're finding how they point us to Jesus. And, and as we said last week, the entire Bible is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, it serves as a foundation for the work of Christ and it also serves as an arrow to the work of Christ. And, and so this week we're going to talk about maybe a, a lesser known uh, story from the Old Testament one where the, the main character is told to do something that he didn't understand, that didn't make sense. And so tonight we're going to talk about Hosea and Gomer. So if you would, pray with me, and then we will jump in. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for bringing us all here together. And God, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to hear from your word as a body of believers. And so God, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight, that we would set aside any distractions, set aside our own agenda. And God, that you would have your way here tonight. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome. Well, if you would, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Hosea or click on the book of Hosea. Um, You can find it in between the book of Daniel and the book of Joel. And Hosea is one of the minor prophets of 
the Old Testament. And uh, minor doesn't mean uh, lesser, like a lesser prophet. It just means that in terms of, in terms of length, that the book of, the book of uh, Hosea isn't that long compared to a book like Jeremiah or Isaiah. So Hosea lived in a time of high political uncertainty. Okay, we can relate to that, right? He lived in a time of high political uncertainty in Israel. And at a time when Israel's rebellion from God was at a peak, specifically in the way of worshiping false gods. And so God appoints Hosea to be his, his mouthpiece to the people and to communicate to them that he's not happy about their actions. And so at the beginning of the book, God tells Hosea to do something extremely odd. And, and it's going to set the stage for tonight. And this is going to get real quick. All right. It's Hosea 1, 2 to 3. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. And so the Lord speaks to Hosea and commands him to go marry a prostitute and go start a family with her. And God is very clear in his reasoning. He says, I want you to go do this. I want you to go marry someone who will be unfaithful to you because my people are unfaithful to me. Now, I'm sure Hosea is like, you want me to do what? And, and do what with her, right? How does this sound for a mission from God, right? This is kind of out there, right? Could you imagine right now God calling you to marry a prostitute? Okay, that's insane. What if I asked you all right now, like, hey, let's all get around. Let's sing Kumbaya. Let's, let's talk about what God's called us to do in our life. How many of you are gonna be like, God's called me to marry a prostitute? right? Don't raise your hand, man. Well, maybe, maybe. God bless you. So, um, and even if, you know, for some reason you did feel called to do that, who would want to admit it, right? But that's what God called Hosea to do. And, and this was like two ends of the spectrum. So Hosea was this, he was a prophet. Remember, he's this righteous, upstanding man of God, and, and he's called to marry a prostitute who is the lowest of society, whom nobody respected and was an outcast. It made no sense. It made no sense for God to tell Hosea to go legally and financially and physically unite himself with this prostitute. But God did, in fact, tell Hosea to do that. Sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. But the question for, in that for us is this. How do we do what God calls us to do even if it doesn't make sense? Oswald Chambers, who, who wrote the famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, he said this. As long as I dwell on my own qualities and traits and think about what I am suited for, I will never hear the call of God. I'm gonna, read that, I'm gonna read that to you one more time. As long as I dwell on my own qualities and traits and think about what I am suited for, I will never hear the call of God. And so I wanna I want be clear before I unpack that, okay? We're not talking about your God-given gifts and talents, right? We, we've talked before how your gifts and your talents can be a window to God's will for your life. What I'm talking about is the way that we often put our obedience to God in a box or, or in a way we think that we can draw our own lines for God to color inside. I'm sure you've thought before, man, if God called me to do that, I don't think I ever could, or that's not for me, or I don't have what it takes to do that. Sometimes that's not up to us to decide. I, I talk to uh, Hunter a lot, who, who uh, I think just walked in. He's, um, 
<laughs> there he is. Okay, I was about to say, my goodness, I saw him walk in. Where'd he go? Um, yeah, so I talked to Hunter a lot about working out, and he's like a genius with fitness and nutrition and things like that. And a while back, I had just mentioned to him that I'd always been stronger in my legs than in my upper body. You know, everybody's got their thing. Everybody's stronger in one area than the other. It just depends on the person. And he told me, he was like, yeah, but where you're weakest is where you'll see the most progress. Where you're weak is where you'll see the most progress. And I thought, man, that's so true in so many areas of life. But we see that in scripture as well. Scripture tells us this, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And so if we get so concentrated on what we are able to do, we will miss what God is able to do. That there are seasons of life where you have to do things that you do not like or that do not make sense. If you've ever been an intern somewhere, you know, all right, Sometimes you have to follow the call of God through what you don't like to get to what you do. Hosea was called to marry a prostitute for crying out loud, right? I'm sure he was not stoked about that. But the call of God outweighed the fact that he didn't fully understand. Oswald Chambers would also go on to write this. He said, don't deify common sense. In other words, don't make a God out of common sense. The call of God and making perfect sense don't always go hand in hand. And Hosea would end up marrying this prostitute, and her name was Gomer, as we read, and they would have a child together. And as the story progresses, they end up having two more kids, and God tells Hosea to give them names, meaning no mercy and not my people. Okay, that's beautiful, right? And the calling to marry Gomer after that gets even harder. Hosea chapter 2 is this poetic retelling of the events that, that happened after these three children were born. So after they're born, Gomer, though she's a wife to Hosea and a mother to their children, we see her return back to her old ways as a prostitute. And in chapter two, we see that God is extremely angry about Israel's unfaithfulness, which is reflected in the actions of Gomer, how they return to their old ways. And he's angry that they commit spiritual adultery. He's, he's angry that they don't acknowledge him as their provider. He's angry that they think that life's better with the false gods that they worship. And so I, I think before we move on, I think, I think this is a good spot to talk about the wrath of God. And so if you, if you have your Bible, if, you, if you're reading along, if you, if you kind of scan through chapter two, you will, see the, you will see God say some pretty intense things. And so, and you see that a lot in the Old Testament. You see the wrath of God on display. You see God very angry. And I know um, for a lot of people, it's, it's hard to, to reconcile a God that is wrathful with the God of love that we know and we hear about. A lot of, time that's a, a lot of times that's a hangup for people. And because and, it's like I said, especially in the Old Testament, there's many moments where you see this and we're in a series where we're in the Old Testament and this is an example. And so I think where we go wrong in this is thinking that anger is the opposite of love or it's not the opposite of love. Anger is often caused by love. Listen to this quote. This is author Becky Pippert. I love this. She says, God's wrath isn't a cranky explosion. It's his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the insides of the human race that he loves with his whole being. Think about someone that you love. When, someone, when, when, when something is ruining that person's life, whether that be a sin or an addiction or a relationship or a disease, you get angry. You get angry because you want the best for that person. 
The wrath of God is kindled by the things that destroy the people that he loves. And just as God gets angry at the things that destroy us individually, like the examples I just said, like sin and disease and addiction, he also gets angry at the things that destroy us collectively. Some examples of this in the world would be, would be war and genocide, persecution. And in America, we don't see much of those things up close. And so I want to use those as examples for that exact reason. Because those that have a hard time believing that God is wrathful are those who haven't seen firsthand what he is wrathful because of. There are, there are interviews, interviews of those who have seen like just unthinkable violence in places like Syria and, and other war-torn parts of the world where innocent people die every day. And they say that the only way they make it through those horrible situations and the horrible experiences is knowing that there is a God who is angry that it's happening and will come one day to make things right, to enact justice and to end that violence forever. And so we don't see that kind of violence here in the U.S., but one thing that we do see here a lot that we're affected here in the U.S. is racism. Racism is in complete just opposition to the gospel and minorities in our country, they deal with this every day of being a different color. And so it is comforting to those affected by that that God will one day wipe the slate clean and enact justice and make things right. And so God's wrath being poured out on the things that destroy us individually and collectively, it's not a reason to run from God. It's a reason to thank God that he is sticking up for us and will one day have complete victory over everything that's caused us pain in this world. Because even though God has anger, he still does have mercy. And that mercy never runs out. And we, and we see that at the cross, right? Where, where the wrath of God should have been poured out on us, he instead poured it out on Jesus. And we see that as we move forward in the story of Hosea and Gomer. At the end of chapter two, God shows us, yeah, he, or in the beginning of chapter two, God shows us he's angry at Israel. But as the chapter moves on, he says, hey, one day it's gonna be different that he's gonna draw his people back to himself, that they're gonna fall in love with him again, that things will be made right. And this is what he says. This is Hosea 2, 19 to 20. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. I'll betroth you to me forever in righteousness and justice and love and mercy and faithfulness, and you shall know me. The Lord says that the relationship between his people and himself will one day be perfected, that we will know him personally, like a husband knows a wife, like a Hosea knows a Gomer. And now that the Lord says that he's gonna rescue, rescue Israel, he's gonna tell Hosea that it's now time to rescue Gomer. So this is, this is uh, chapter three. One through two. And the Lord said to me, me being Hosea, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And so the beginning of this story tonight, the very beginning, God tells Hosea, go. Go marry a prostitute. Go marry a prostitute because that's how my people treat me. And now he's, telling him, now he's telling him here, go again. Go find her again. Go love her again. And just as I love my people, though they don't love me in return. And so Hosea sets out 
to find Gomer, who had returned to prostitution, like we talked about. And as it says, he, he bought her for 15 shekels of silver and some crops. And this means that not only did Gomer return to prostitution, she'd been placed into the slave trade. And so as, as Hosea is wandering through the, the, the worst parts of town, the place where it made no sense for him to be, that a man of God shouldn't be in, he's going around looking for his wife. Like, hey, have you seen her? She's this tall. She's got this color eyes, this color hair. Her name's Gomer. And then he stumbles upon a slave trade. There's women up on a platform getting bid on. There's men shouting out what they would pay. And as he gets closer, who does he see up on the auction block? But his wife. He sees Gomer. Could you imagine that? Like, hey, don't bid on her. That's my wife. She belongs to me. Like, you you can't have her. How can you sell my wife? And he starts seeing what money he has on him. And the, the price for a slave in the time was 30 shekels of silver. He only had 15. And so he's like, hey, I only got 15, but I got some barley too. Take all that I've got. He's emptying his pockets. Like, take all I've got. I've got to get her back. I don't care that she's been unfaithful. I want her back. And he buys her. And this is what he says. Verse three to five. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So Hosea just reiterates what the Lord had already said in chapter two. Listen, now it's you and me forever. Nothing is coming between us. You're gonna do your part, I'm gonna do mine. And the way that this worked is the way it will work when God does what he says he will do. And thousands of years years later, God would do his part. He would do his part by sending Jesus to this earth to, to leave heaven, to leave his throne, to do what didn't make sense and step into this mess of a human race full of people that are unfaithful, like you and I, that are unfaithful, that commit spiritual adultery, that return to our old ways. But though we are unfaithful, though we make mistakes, though we fall short, he chose to go to the worst places for us. He he came after us when we were in the dirtiest and most undesired places of our life. And instead of leaving us in our sin, instead of leaving us up there on the auction block, which he had every right to do, he instead said, take all I've got, take my life. And through his blood, he he bought us back so that now we can have a relationship with the Father like the one that was promised. Say, it's you and me forever. Nothing's gonna separate us. You do your part, I'll do mine. And I have a feeling some of us tonight have been finding ourselves in places that we don't wanna be, going back to things that we, that we don't wanna go back to. I wanna tell you tonight that Jesus will always pursue you. There's no distance that you can run that's too far. The arms of God are open for you and I pray that that, that news never gets old. And by the way, I love that God didn't tell Gomer to go find Hosea. Hey, you figure it out. Figure out how to get out of your mess. Figure out how to get off the auction block. Figure out how to go find your husband. No, Hosea pursued. Hosea paid the price. Hosea bought her back. Hosea did the work. Jesus pursued you. Jesus paid the price for you. Jesus did the work. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were still standing up on the auction block. Christ died for you. Does that move anybody in here tonight? 
Go ahead and stand up with me. Tonight, we need to worship despite our unfaithfulness. We need to worship because of the faithfulness of God. We need to worship because we've been pursued and reconciled and redeemed. And so tonight, man, let's be thankful for the places that Jesus has brought us out of. And if you find yourself in that place tonight, that, that undesired place, I want you to know that Jesus is coming after you, that the arms of God are open for you. And he wants the best for you. So let's respond in worship. Let's thank him for his faithfulness tonight, despite our unfaithfulness. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for that story. God, that we were Gomer, you were Hosea. God, I thank you that our Hosea has come for us. That you didn't make us go find you, God. You came to us. God, you died for us while we were still sinners. You died for us while we were still up on that auction block. God, we thank you for paying the price for us, seeing our flaws, seeing our mistakes, knowing, God, that we've been unfaithful. But God, you said, take all I've got. Take my life. God, we thank you for the power in that story. We thank you for the truth, God, that, yeah, we can find ourselves being like Gomer. We can find ourselves retreating back to things that we don't want, finding, our places in, finding ourselves in places that we don't want to be. But, God, we're not too far from you. You find us there. So, God, we pray that you'd have your way in this time of worship, that we would respond to what you've done for us, God, that we would sing, that we would lift our hands, God, that we would find the freedom that you've given us tonight. And we would express that in worship. God, because you're worthy of it. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.